In the past few weeks, uh, Claremont been looking at a looking series um, from Luke 24 and that conversation with Jesus and the disciples on the road to Emmaus. How Jesus encouraged them to look back to the very truths of the scripture, the foundation of the gospel. How they looked in when they recognized that these truths were burning within them and how exciting faith is. And then that looking around, uh, sorry, looking, yeah, looking around as they said, well, we can't keep this to ourselves. We must tell others, share this. And for looking forward, which is where Luke 24 takes us to that forward to the, the mission and work of God, I actually wanted to go to the first few verses of Hebrews chapter 12 in particular. But, talk, but Paul, the apostle, says, that firstly in 2 Timothy 4, he talks about having run the race, about coming to the end of his service to Christ. Um, and just to make it clear that Karen and I do not feel that's uh, where we are. Um, we are coming to the end of this phase of our service, but we look to serve Christ in whichever ways we can. And we don't see it as a moving away from discipleship. We don't see it as a giving up of a running the race. Sure, there will be a change of pace. There will be different responsibilities. But we're not going for an extended holiday, um, but for a new chapter. So if today it uh, sounds a bit as what I'm saying, you at Claremont have to keep going and should be looking ahead while I sit back, um, that's not the case. We look to serve in other spheres. And in fact, you've had a, a really good example of that modeled here in that my predecessor at Claremont um, has come back after a time and John and Ann Collard are with us. They're serving in music, working with a holiday club. John's working with a projector today and doing many other things. Service didn't finish with retirement. It goes on in other spheres. So the race is not finished, but continues. Now, there are a number of times in the New Testament where living the Christian life is compared to being in a race. Not a race against one another in terms of we're trying to be better Christians than, than somebody else, but a race in the sense of following and taking on the course and overcoming the obstacles that are in the way. We have to keep on to the finish because the imagery is not so much the 100 meters, but more like the marathon, the long-distance, lifelong race that we do in following Christ. And he says in verse 1, there's a, a large crowd of witnesses. Now, these witnesses are not sort of looking down to see how you're getting on. You know, are you doing better than Noah? Yeah, or whatever. They are witnesses not of us, but witnesses to us of the worth of running, running the race. For when we had we time to read Hebrews chapter 11 and that litany of, of heroes of the faith in that chapter, you'll find that for many of them it cost, for many of them it involved suffering. And even in the quick snapshots of different people that Miriam was sharing with us earlier, there, there was that too. Mother Teresa going from, was it Albania she was from and serving in, in India, never seeing a mother and sister again. Is that not a big sacrifice to make? Well, just as she's made that, and just as the folks in Hebrews 11 have made their various sacrifices, their witnesses, we're glad we did it. It was worth it for the, running the race and being with Christ. And so we have that exhortation in the first verse to run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Discipleship, following the way of Jesus, is for all Christians. It's what a Christian is, a follower of Jesus. And it's something that's to be pursued actively. It doesn't just happen. 
A bit like running a race. Athletes running a race don't just get up one morning and think, oh, I've got nothing else on, I'll go to the European Championships. They've prepared for it. They've trained for it. They've organized their their timetable so that they can be there. It's, It's a specific choice we make. And running the race is discipleship is that as well. I have decided to follow Jesus means I'm going to sort myself out. I'm going to sort my calendar out. I'm going to sort whatever else out so that I can follow. And in order to do that, he says, we've to um, <clears throat> throw, throw everything off on the sin that so easily entangles. That's what he said. Sin entangles. It kind of ties us up. So suppose at the European Championships there, Laura Muir had turned up for the 1,500 meters, stood there on the starting line, and she had all kinds of bits of string and bandages and rope tied around her, including some that were tied around her legs so that she wouldn't be able to take a normal stride. <laughs> it doesn't really bear thinking about this. It? it would just be too daft for words. How could she, never mind how could she win the race, but how she could even be taking part in the race with all that stuff. And yeah, that's what the writer says in, in that verse 1 about sin. It's e- so easily entangles. It gets us tied up. So when we hang on to things that we know are wrong, when we hang on to hurt and refuse to forgive, when we hang on to resentment, when we keep up a habit we know is wrong, When we refuse to treat others as we would want them to treat us. When we acknowledge that we are impatient without ever trying to learn patience and pray for God to help us. When we put our material needs before how much we share with others. Then we are being like the athlete on the start line all bound up with string and rope. How can we possibly run the race? How can we possibly be disciples? How can we possibly be following Christ with all this other stuff? Because sin is not just when you stab somebody who's out in their mobility scooter. Sin is all these other things as well. And the writer says, throw off everything, including that sin that entangles. Following Jesus and or saying that we're following Jesus and hanging on to our own preferences, our own style, our own material well-being first is a bit like the athlete standing on the start line with the ropes all around them tied around their legs. It just does not make sense, and it ain't going to happen. You have to decide, are you in the race or are you not in the race? And notice, too, that it's not just the sin we have to get rid of. Let us throw off everything that hinders. You see, there are some things that might not necessarily be wrong in and of themselves, but if they get in the way of our running the race, we have to throw them aside, too. It might not be anything particularly wrong about going to a party at Hogmanay and celebrating the bells and staying on for a few hours afterwards. But if somebody's a pilot who's flying an aircraft that morning, they shouldn't be there. They shouldn't be doing that. If somebody's going to start work at 9 o'clock driving an ambulance, they they shouldn't still be at the party at 4 o'clock in the morning. There are sometimes things that that might not be wrong, might might not be evil themselves, but in certain circumstances get in the way. And that's what the writer says, throw off everything that hinders. Now that will be different for different people. But for all of us, they're there. 
Some hobbies, some pastimes are so expensive or so time-consuming that we should rein them in a bit. If they get in the way of how well we can run the race following Jesus, we really need to show discipline to deal with them. So, how am I doing? How's my running the race going? Are there signs of progress? What have I laid aside? What specific steps have I taken to deal with sin, to improve my serving Jesus? What gifts have I strengthened and developed? What sphere of service have I chosen to enter into? How's my prayer life compared with this time last year? What ways have I consciously sought to become more like Jesus wants me to be? What evidence is there of the Holy Spirit at work in my life? Well, is there progress? Are you running a race? Because suppose in the marathon race, after, let's say, 60, 70 minutes after the start of the race, there's still one person back still in the starting line. You would say of that person, not are they going to win, but are they taking part in the race at all? They're there with the gear on, they've got a competitor's number, they've been registered, you know, they've got their membership, but they're not running the race. They're not doing anything to get closer to the finishing line. Well, we can be like that with Jesus, can't we? Just think we might have to drift along, we can't. These questions I asked were serious. What are we doing? Why would someone do anything that involves self-discipline and self-denial? Why take part in something that's so much trouble, so demanding? I sometimes wonder that when I um, see folks out jogging. <laughs> from, usually from the comfort of my car. I see them going up the road with pain on their face. I see them out in the rain. It's dry inside my car. <laughs> and I think, really? Why are they doing that? To be honest, they don't look as though they're enjoying it. <laughs> why, why on earth are they doing that? Well, I suppose they're doing that because they've got a goal. There's something that they're aiming at. They're maybe training for a race. Or maybe they just want to be fit. Maybe they just want to be, be healthier. And, that, and that's the goal. And, and that's the way they're choosing to aim at and go for the goal. That's why people do things that involve self-discipline and self-denial. And for a Christian, that goal is Jesus himself and his kingdom. Jesus, who knows better than any of us what fullness of life looks like. For us, he endured what needed to be endured. Jesus himself has, has gone that way, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. He endured, notice, not just the cross, but scorning its shame. You notice that? Because there's some kinds of suffering that actually wins people's applause. 
I watched the, uh, the women's steeplechase last night, um, <clears throat> and nobody, nobody fell, but um, suppose somebody had, suppose one of the athletes had, had slipped just at the, at the barrier and crashed their leg off one of the barriers and then had this wound, and then had continued racing. You know, they thought that they owed it to their calling, they owed it to their country to keep going, and even though they were in last place, and even though they, you could quite obviously see in it that they were injured, they people would have applauded that. People would have got a warm reception as they reached the finishing line after that. There is some suffering that brings out admiration. The fireman going into a blazing building or whatever. Jesus and the cross didn't just endure, but he had to scorn its shame. And why did he do that? You know, why do joggers go out and jog? Why should we think about being self-disciplined? Why did Jesus not just take the way that was crucifixion with, with all of its horror and pain, but also with its, its being laughed at and scorned and mocked and everything else for the joy that was set before him? What was that joy that he might be the saviour of his people? And it's that Jesus that he says that we should fix our eyes on. Consider him. That is far more than just an occasional thought. Far more than a brief glance, a nodding of a head in Jesus' direction every so often. It means putting who he is, what he has done, what he's about, and letting that influence so that we're ready to throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And so if we find ourselves getting weary about Jesus' cause, and yes, I am speaking to myself here as well, if we find ourselves getting weary about Christ's cause, that's not because we have done our bit and now we can sit back. It is not due to our becoming physically more frail, if the kingdom of God means less to us, it's because our faith is dimmed and we're losing hold of the worth of God. Now, we will serve in different ways at different times. We, we change over time. We become more able to do some things, less able to do others. But even where we cannot do what we once did in Christian service, that does not mean that we should can or think less of the kingdom of God. And if we are not running the races we should, if we are not dealing with sin, if we are not laying aside what hinders us, as verse 1 commands, then it's not an exercise of self-determination or self-will that we need. I must do better. I must try harder. What we really need is to fix our eyes on Jesus, to consider him. For that is what the whole Christian faith rests on and depends on. All that Jesus went through, and he went through that for us. That's why we sang that hymn about grace. He did that for us. And it's only as we grasp that, it's only as we're grabbed by that, that we find that kind of motivation that says we can lay off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. One thing more, and I'm done. The passage, Hebrews 12, 1 to 3, is written in the plural. Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let 
us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes. That's five lines, six lines in my text of the Bible, and five, us, we, our. I have said already that the friendly race is not a competition to outdo each other, but even more, it's something that we have to then do together. Just a couple of chapters back in Hebrews 10, the writer said, let us, notice plural, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful, and let us consider how we may spur one another towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. It, it's, it's together, encouraging, helping, not forsaking our assembling, but push it together. And so while we take stock for ourselves as we should, am I still fired by the prospect of God's kingdom? Am I still keen to see him honored? And the questions I asked a few moments ago, as well as asking those questions of ourselves, we should also ask them to and of one another. For if someone in the fellowship is not showing the life of Christ, that might not just be because of their disobedience and disinterest, it might be because of ours, not encouraging, not supporting, not challenging, not caring. It's an odd thing. It's a we thing. That's we with one E. Now, I don't know what it's been like for other ministers retiring. I've not asked around. For me, and I've written more about this in the forthcoming issue of the Clarion magazine, um, for me there's a mix of glad we did this, thankful for that, but also a sum of I wish we'd done better or wish we'd made more progress with such and such. But especially I wish most of all that I had been able to persuade more of you that the Christian life is a life of active discipleship done with and done for others. And that the Sunday morning large gathering, vital as it is, and I promise I've given my best to these gatherings, vital as they are, they cannot do everything to shape the kind of shared discipleship that the New Testament calls us to. They just can't. We need the face-to-face -face meeting in smaller numbers. We need the gathering around of God's Word and saying, how better can we live this? How better can we do this? Because there's a race to be run, and there's a cause that really matters. Just look how much it meant to Jesus, and we're not going to be able to get, make any progress without helping, stimulating, encouraging, and supporting one another in it. It just ain't going to happen. Just like the athlete who doesn't train and doesn't prepare and ends up going on holiday when the championships are on is not going to do anything in terms of competing. So we'll be, and I'll say a wee bit more in the notices, going into another series with focus groups. And it's not just that that's the only way to do things. It's one way, and what bothers me most is that 
for a lot of folks, they've not, it's not as if they've opted not to do that and then do something else in terms of speaking about their discipleship and sharing. And it's just plain disobedience. It is. It's just plain disobedience. And it also says, not just in terms of disobedience, we've broken the rules and been naughty, but what are we doing? Are we really running the race or not? Serious about this kind of engagement, this kind of growing. So let us keep our eyes fixed on Jesus as the writer urges us. That we don't think about church and as an organization, as, a, as an institution or something that we go to. But about Jesus, that together we seek to be his, live, living his way, loving his people, sharing his message. And so, as the verse 3 says, and just the last line on the slide there, do not let yourselves go, we, grow weary and lose heart. How do you do that? By fixing your eyes on Jesus. It's not just, it's not just your will. It's not just your term, determination. A number of years ago, I listened to um, a sermon, a recording of a sermon by um, Eric Alexander, who was um, minister at St. George's Tron in Glasgow. And Eric referred back to a meeting years before that he'd been to as a, as a young Christian, um, where the speaker was, was Martin Lloyd-Jones from Westminster Chapel in London, um, well-known and distinguished um, preacher. And uh, after the meeting, Eric was standing in the doorway waiting for, you know, just inside the door, waiting for somebody to, to leave together. And he was standing quite close to where Martin Lloyd-Jones was at the door, just shaking people's hands. And he said that to everyone whose hand he shook in the way out, Lloyd-Jones said, keep on, keep on. And the young Eric Alexander thought, this is the great Martin Lloyd-Jones. Surely he could think of something better to say. <laughs> this is the great Martin Lloyd-Jones. And then he thought, actually, that's what they need. That's exactly what they need. Keep on. There's a race to be run. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Keep on. Let us